Hi, I'm Josh Levine. My podcast, The Queen, tells the story of Linda Taylor. She was a con artist, a kidnapper, and maybe even a murderer. She was also given the title The Welfare Queen, and her story was used by Ronald Reagan to justify slashing aid to the poor. Now, it's time to hear her real story. Over the course of four episodes, you'll find out what was done to Linda Taylor, what she did to others, and what was done in her name. The, the great lesson of this, uh, for me, is that people will come to their own conclusions based on what their prejudices are. Subscribe to The Queen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Alabama's state legislature has become known for this fiery rhetoric that can sometimes get physical. A few years back, one state legislator called a colleague a name, and he promptly got punched in the head. Yeah, so yes, we, we, we've experienced the full spectrum of disagreements in the Alabama legislature. Brian Lyman has been there for all of this. He's a reporter at the Montgomery Advertiser. At least your job's exciting. It's, yeah, it's, there's never a dull moment for better and worse. So yeah, yeah. I mean, what's good for writers is often not so good for citizens. <laughs> you might have seen this video of the latest fight on the floor of the Alabama Senate. It was just last week. It was about abortion. By Representative Collins relating to abortion. I've watched the video and it stood out to me because it was like being at an auction house. All those in favor say aye. No, no, Any opposed? Motion passes. Committee amendment is It was like going once, going twice. Yep, we're moving through. And then all of a sudden. It was a motion. He made a motion. He didn't even make a motion, Mr. President. This Democratic state senator, he gets out. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Just yelling. Yeah, that that's that's Democratic uh, Senate Minority Leader Bobby uh, Bobby Singleton. He did not make a motion. He made a motion to table. The bill these senators were fighting over, it would basically ban abortion in the state, almost completely. But Democrats and even a few Republicans wanted to add language that would make exceptions, exceptions in the case of rape or incest. In this tape, you're listening as legislators strip those exceptions out. So, in effect, the rape and incest amendment was taken out of the bill. And my explanation of it can't really quite convey how quickly this occurred. If my colleague Kim Chandler with the Associated Press timed it, I mean, this happened in two seconds. And even in those two seconds, you had Democrats on the floor raising their hands, demanding a vote on the amendment, and they were essentially gaveled down. The Democrats are in a super minority in the Senate, so they can't really stop the bill from passing if the Republican votes are there, but they can slow down the process. And they really wanted to get a vote on those rape and incest exceptions. Well, I guess why was that so important? I guess it gets it on the record. It does. Yeah. And basically they're asking, like, are you voting for like these changes that could force sexual assault victims to carry their attackers children to term? I mean, basically, I can see the campaign ads right now. Yeah. Yeah. When Alabama's state Senate adjourned last week, it was partially to give the legislators a time out. They're due back Tuesday due to vote on this abortion bill again today. With state after state passing anti-abortion measures, Brian's going to tell me what is going on in Alabama, how the state reached this point, and what happens if it becomes the first state to ban abortion. I'm Mary Harris. You are listening to What Next. 
Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. And it would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back. I guess my first question really is, if I wanted to get an abortion in Alabama right now, Mm -hmm. how hard is that or how easy is it? There are only three clinics currently operating right now. I believe uh, there's one in Montgomery one in Tuscaloosa, and one in Huntsville. So broadly speaking on Alabama, there's one in North Alabama, there's one in West Alabama, and there's one in Central Alabama. So if you're a woman who's in a rural community, you have to travel to all those places. So you have to actually get the gas money to get in your car and drive there. If you're working, you have to take time off of work. If you're in school, you have to take time off from school. There is also a 48-hour waiting period. It is not easy at all to, to, to get an abortion in the state of Alabama. And over the last few years, I mean, you've been covering the legislature for a while. Have there been restrictions sort of piling up on abortion clinics or has it been relatively the same? Like, what, what has it been like? When the Republicans first got to power in 2011, they imposed a 20-week abortion ban. So there are no abortions after 20 weeks. In practicality, that 
didn't do a lot because obviously most abortions take place like like usually at the six week mark or like or before the six week mark. And there have been attempts to restrict things like, for instance, we had a uh, a hospital admitting privileges bill, which um, would have required any doctor who performs an abortion to have admitting privileges at a hospital that went to court and that basically got blocked. There was a very long time when the, the Senate Republican leadership basically stopped showing interest in abortion bills because the thought was, is we're going to lose in court. So why should we spend this money in the first place? So for instance, there were fetal heartbeat bills proposed in the Alabama legislature, like similar ones that are passing in other legislatures this year. Those were proposed, I want to say in 2015 or 2016, and they died in the Senate because, I mean, the leadership basically said, you know, why should we be the the tip of the spear for this? Because- Mm -hmm our experience in the federal courts has shown we're going to lose. You're painting a picture of a state legislature that sort of has been trying to to slowly carve away at abortion rights and has kind of gotten burned over the years by doing that and spent a lot of money defending these these pieces of legislation. But then it seems like this year there was more of a go for broke attitude. And I think that's because we have a Supreme Court now with, you know, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh and pro-life activists in this state, as in other states, feel like they, they have a chance to overturn or at least erode Roe versus Wade. So I think that's why you see this particular bill moving so quickly through the legislature. This Alabama bill has been described as a near total abortion ban. It was written by a pro-life activist, a man, it so happens. The bill would make it a felony to perform an abortion or even attempt to perform an abortion in the state. And it doesn't punish women. It punishes doctors. There's an exception for when the woman's life is in danger. There's also an exception for when the woman may have a mental illness where birth could result in her death or the death of her of her child. And there appears to be an exception for what the bill calls lethal anomalies, which means like if the baby is going to die immediately after birth or could be or could be stillborn. But it's a pretty high bar. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it would be infinitely harder to get an abortion if this bill were to pass. And what I think is so interesting about this bill is that it was basically designed to go to the Supreme Court like that is its whole mission. Its mission isn't even necessarily to be enacted in the state of Alabama, right? You know, it's been interesting because Collins has kind of suggested that... You're talking about Terry Collins, the representative who introduced this bill. Terry Collins, yes. She's kind of hinted that the legislature could come back and address things like rape and incest and things like that. The the two problems that that could face are, first of all, last fall, Alabama voters approved a constitutional amendment that said there was no right to an abortion in the Alabama constitution. So just having that amendment on the books complicates things. But then the second thing is that if you have a Republican legislature that's already voted for a bill that does not include exceptions for rape and incest, why would they come back and revisit that issue if they've already voted for it and they don't feel any pressure to address that issue? Just looking at how overwhelmingly 
um, the Alabama House rejected an attempt to put rape and incest exceptions in this bill. I don't know if a future legislature would be interested in revisiting those provisions. What a bet to place, though. Like, Mm -hmm. we'll just scrap everything and then, you know, we can come back and we can, like, tweak it. I mean, (laughs) it requires it requires a lot of trust in a future legislature to actually want to return to this. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about Terry Collins, the original sponsor of this bill. She's a woman. But it was hard for me looking at that debate last week in the state Senate not to notice that there aren't a lot of women in the legislature in Alabama. There are only four elected senators in the current body right now, and one has been one has been absent for most of the session. So practically speaking, there's only three female senators in, in the legislature. In fact, I believe I did a story about this last year. I think the state of Alabama will be 200 years old in December. Of all the hundreds, if not thousands of people who have served in the Alabama Senate, only nine have been women. Oh, so how are women entering this conversation if they're not the people sort of voting most of the time and actually writing the legislation? I mean, (laughs) how are their voices being heard? The female representatives, like especially on, on the Democratic side, have been extremely vocal in their concerns about this legislation. So, I mean, you're hearing them in public hearings, but they simply don't have the votes to carry this stuff um, in, in the chambers of the House or the Senate. Yeah, the other thing that stood out to me was that the uglier this debate gets, the less good anyone looks, like including the Democrats. A little bit earlier, before last week, you know, there was a state representative who was quoted talking about how some kids are unwanted, so you either kill them now or you kill them later. The idea being, you know, we don't have the social services or whatever for people, and so abortion is a legitimate option. That just seems like not a good look. It was, yeah, that that was Representative John Rogers of Birmingham. And uh, obviously, like that, that created a lot of trouble for Rogers and for um, the Democrats who were who were opposing that. I will say those comments were made, they were very crudely stated, but they were part of a broader Democratic argument. Like, as you said, like what Rogers was saying is that he feels like the officials in this state will neglect those children once they once they're born or, you know, like in certain cases, like they'll end up in the justice system. And, you know, like if they do some really awful things, they could face the death penalty. So as you said, yeah, the longer this happens, like the more you'll see things that people might want to walk back down the road. Yeah. I mean, Donald Trump Jr. retweeted him. And I just feel like you never want to hand that ammunition to your, you know, the person you're fighting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you see that stuff retweeted and shared by conservative outlets. And there's less engagement about the bill itself. It's not to say that Rogers comments are above criticism. I mean, they're clearly they're, they're clearly worthy of they're clearly worthy of pushback. But there's less engagement on the actual bill itself and the merits of the bill itself. And it's an interesting choice for some of these outlets that they're not they're not looking at what the bill itself does. They're trying to like kind of look more at some of these things going around it in, during the debate. Because I guess the people who are talking about the bill itself 
even the Republicans are finding things they might not like about it. Or they're finding things they would prefer not to talk about at length about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how is the bill exposing divisions on the Republican side? The the key thing is in the House there there really wasn't a lot of division there, but in the Senate you you are seeing Republicans from some of these more affluent districts, places like uh, for instance like uh, Lee County, which which is the home of Auburn University, you know from Shelby County, which is a more affluent suburb of Birmingham. You're seeing a lot of discomfort from them about the lack of rape and incest exceptions. Why do you think these exceptions, the exceptions for rape and incest, are so important to these suburban voters? You look at some of the recent cases we've seen of incest in Alabama. I mean, like you're talking about like, you know, 12 year olds who were raped by family members who became pregnant. Hold it. Have you actually seen cases like this? There was a case of a very young child, I believe it was about 12 years old, who had to get judicial permission to have an abortion because she was the victim of incest. So, I mean, like, it's those kinds of stories that makes a lot of people on both sides of the aisle uncomfortable with just simply banning the procedure in, in those cases. So in Alabama, this isn't just theoretical. Well, I should say we hope these are rare cases, but we have seen this in the past come up, and it's something people have to have to engage with. You know, it's interesting to me is that, you know, Alabama is, of course, known because of this surprise election of Doug Jones, who assumed office in Washington as a senator last year. He's a Democrat. He's progressive. It makes me wonder how all these local legislators who are fighting over this abortion bill, like, what are their constituents saying? Because they've seen that their constituents can be activated to think in a quite progressive way. And yes, that was hard fought. And there were a lot of other things going on there. But it, it just makes me wonder. I, I think, I mean, you look at, for instance, like take, take a place like Lee County. Um, Auburn is growing rapidly because of both the university and what's considered an excellent public school system. So you're getting more of your um, affluent kind of suburban voter who's moving, who's moving into Lee County. Ten years ago, Lee County was a pretty strong, it was a Republican stronghold, and in most situations it still is, but it's taken on some of those suburban characteristics that you see going on all over the country. So this normally Republican county voted for Doug Jones in 2017. Now, Alabama is an overwhelmingly rural state. So that hasn't pushed Alabama toward any kind of tipping point when it comes to, you know, becoming a, like a blue state or even like a purple state for that matter. But these are dynamics that these local legislators face and they have to confront them if they still want to be local legislators. So this push to get this abortion bill through is it like a go for broke thing because we see the tides are turning and this is our best chance? That's how it's been. That's how it's been described by Terry Collins, the bill's sponsor. I mean, they, they feel like who's a Republican who's a Republican. And I mean, Terry Collins feels like we have a Supreme Court that we think could overturn Roe versus Wade. And let's put something before them that could end up overturning Roe versus Wade. They definitely they definitely see a chance to do that. But like, I wonder if they see the chance slipping away. I wouldn't be surprised to see this bill come back next year if this 
if this were to fail this year. I mean, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch aren't going away anytime soon. And I think pro-life advocates, they see an opportunity if the fetal heartbeat bills that you see passing in other states, I mean, if those don't end up being the opportunity, they'll try again with another bill like Alabama's, which goes significantly beyond those fetal heartbeat bills. So yeah, they definitely see a chance to change abortion law in the United States. Brian Lyman, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank thank you. (laughs) Brian Lyman covers state government and politics for the Montgomery Advertiser. Before we go, I wanted to bring in one more voice. Her name is Jen Jordan. She's actually from Georgia. She's part of the abortion debate right now, too. Georgia is one of four states that have passed so-called heartbeat bills this year. Heartbeat bills make abortion illegal after about six weeks of pregnancy. And like Alabama's law, this bill is a tactic, a way to begin a court fight over abortion. Like Alabama's law, Georgia's bill is punitive, Both doctors and women who get abortions could face prison time. Jen Jordan is a state senator in Georgia. She is a Democrat. Usually I would not cede the show to a partisan for four minutes. But I think her more important affiliation is that she's a woman. When we talk about abortion, I just think it's so important to listen to women's voices. And her speech, it really moved me. Anyway, here it is. My husband and I were talking about this bill the other night, and he told me that he didn't want me to share anything personal because no one was entitled to that information. And I have always fiercely guarded my privacy. But let me be clear, the deepest, darkest times of my life have occurred in the presence of and with my physician. You see, I've been pregnant 10 times. I have seen what many of you in here have called a heartbeat 10 times but I have only given birth twice. I have lost seven pregnancies in varying points of time before 20 weeks and one after five months. Her name was Juliet. I have laid on the cold examination table while a doctor desperately looked for a heartbeat. I have been escorted out the back door of my physician's office so as not to upset the other pregnant women in the waiting area, my grief on full display and uncontainable. I have been on my knees time after time in prayer to my God about my losses. I have loved each and every single one of those potential lives, and my husband and I have grieved each passing. But no matter my faith, my beliefs, my losses, I have never ever strayed from the basic principle that each woman, each woman must be able to make her decisions in consultation with her God and her family. It is not for the government or the men of this chamber to insert itself in the most personal, private, and wrenching decisions that make every single day. And that's not some smiley, happy statement that's been focused, grouped. That is the reality of our lives. God chose women alone to be the fiduciaries of life, not government not this body. My experience wasn't about abortion, but it is what's at stake here. It's about the fundamental right to privacy, 
of women. Matters such as a woman's ability to decide whether to terminate a pregnancy involve the most intimate and personal decisions a person can make. At the heart of liberty, liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. The mother who carries a child to term is subject to anxieties, physical constraints, to pain that only she must bear. And someone came up and said, who speaks, who speaks for the unborn? Who represents the unborn? I will tell you, their mothers do. What gives this body the right to substitute its judgment of that of the entire medical community of this state? What gives this body the right to substitute its choices for those of the women who will no doubt bear the scars, the consequences, and who will face death, and now likely prison? Who gives this body the right to substitute its will to override the Constitution of the United States? Each of us took an oath to protect, to uphold the Constitution, to heed established constitutional law. This oath should mean something. Because without the rule of law, we have nothing. And let me be clear. If you shirk the most basic duties you have to protect the fundamental rights of women today, then no doubt the women of this state will reclaim their rights after they have claimed your seats. I yield the well. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson and Jason DeLeon. Our assistant producer, Anna Martin, is moving. Anna, we are so grateful for all the amazing work you've done while you've been here. Thank you. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, Cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. 
This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails, there ain't no going back.